When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. From my home, walking a road other men have gone down. I'm seeing your world of people and things, your paupers and peasants and princes and kings. Hey, hey, Woody Guthrie, I wrote you a song about a funny old world that's a coming along. Seems sick and it's hungry, it's tired and it's torn. It looks like it's a dying and it's hardly been born. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, the freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining me this week to talk about Song to Woody from Bob Dylan's self-titled 1962 debut album is fellow Bobcat, Adam Hops. Hi, Adam. Rob, how are you? I'm doing great. It's nice to have you on the show finally. Nice to be on. Uh, so, like I said, we're here to talk about Song to Woody. I'm very excited. This is the first song we've uh, covered on the show from Bob Dylan's debut album and there's some few words to say about uh, that in general but before we get to the song of course i have to ask you how did you become a fan yeah i i uh i saw so i was always a big fan of the beatles uh, from middle school and on and, and kind of obsessed with 60s music so hmm. bob dylan's three rock and roll albums were always kind of there and and i liked them but I, i'm not sure i really got them i just kind of knew that they that they were important and and liked a few things my, my first experience really loving Bob Dylan was, uh, I think it was early 2000. I was 16 or so and saw the movies, I think back to back, uh, Wonder Boys and High Fidelity. Okay. <laughs> had, uh, Not Dark Yet and most of the time in it. And uh, the songs in the movie just kind of blew me away. And I, I looked them up when I got home and, and went and got the tapes, the tapes at the time. I think I only had a tape player in the car and uh, <clears throat> was just obsessed. And uh, I think I was, you know, discovering literature and poetry and all that at the time. And when I heard Bob, I, I kind of realized I was experiencing the same thing as, you know, reading Shakespeare, Homer, Cormac McCarthy mm. or something. And, and yeah, I, I, uh, I, I don't know. It, it sort of, you know, like Bob says of Woody, it sort of uh, opened up the world, taught me uh, a way that somebody could live. Um, and that was kind of the beginning. And so I, I, time out of mind and no mercy were my introduction. And, and uh, I think a few things happened around then too. My dad got a T3 line in the house, which is huge. And uh, Napster was hitting its stride. And so I <laughs> you know, downloaded or maybe stole, depending upon what we think about that, um, every Bob Dylan song I could find. I was, I was just kind of obsessed with learning the whole, the whole catalog. And uh, I, I think I, you know, at times I think I was, didn't always get everything. I, I think John Wesley Harding maybe was the first album I, completely downloaded besides time out of mind or oh mercy and, and listen to and i was like okay i i don't really understand that the huge you know thing and but it took time and and i, I ended up spending a lot of time driving uh the ne- over the next couple of years uh ditching school to go see my my girlfriend now wife and listen to mm. bob dylan in the car and just you know slowly kind of fell in love and mass and anonymous came out and chronicles and no direction home and and i'm not there kind of rolled out every couple of years after that and, and i i sort of slowly became obsessed <laughs> have you seen him live i've seen him twice live yeah uh once in uh 2000 and in uh, anaheim and uh then in 2009 in northern virginia how'd you like him I, I, I enjoyed it. I, I enjoyed it immensely. I, I uh, was alone the first time and then uh, with my wife the second time and uh, different experience taking somebody who's, you know, not a huge Bob Dylan fan, certainly was <laughs> awesome, but I, didn't, I don't think I prepared her for, for what everything was going to look like in 2009. Um, 
Um, but it was it was great. It was great. That's I I always love the stories of people that go see Bob Dylan and then they bring someone with them who's not like you know as well versed in it because <laughs> yeah. you do really have to prepare those people. You're like, wait, I got to tell you what you're about to see. You're not. You're not going to hear hits the way you think you're going to hear them. You're going <laughs> to right. Yeah, I think he's not going to talk to the audience. <laughs> it's just just setting the parameters here. I think my sister saw that tour in New York a couple weeks later. She was living in New York and saw it a couple weeks later and was like, "Yeah, I didn't play any of his songs. Any of the songs I recognized." And I listed <laughs> off the tracks that he played. You know, pretty sure there's a similar set list. And she's like, "Nope, didn't didn't hear any of those." And I, was, I remember <laughs> thinking, "I think you probably did. You just didn't know it." Um, <laughs> But it was in a basketball arena and there was a, it was at George Mason and there's in a basketball arena and there's an epic, epic thunderstorm. And so a lot, not a lot of people showed up that the roads were bad. And, and, uh, and so it was, it was, you know, my, to my wife, I remember thinking like, oh man, he's really, nobody really likes this guy anymore, huh? Cause it, it was pretty empty. And I, I remember thinking it was a pretty incredible opportunity. It was just, you know, a small basketball theater. Not many people were able to make it. The floor was half empty. It was, it was pretty cool. I would love that. I mean, I feel bad for Bob. I mean, though, though the tickets are sold already. So on some level, what does he care? He already he sold the tickets, whether you show up or not. But that'd be really cool to see. I've never seen him in that small uh, a setting. That would be really cool. Yeah, it was it was it was neat. And I think we got some rare musings, you know, of an epic storm starting out the show. And, you know, <laughs> so something talking about something about the intimacy in the middle of a storm or something that sounded like it was from his radio show, you know, that he was talking about in the beginning. And then he didn't talk for the next two hours. <laughs> right. There you go. All right. That's it. You're really getting out of him. Well, that's, that's awesome. That's fantastic. So, uh, well, like I said, we're, we're here to talk about song to Woody. It's from Bob Dylan's self-titled 1962 debut album. We've not covered a song from this before. Of course, there's only two Dylan originals on this record, which is song to Woody and talk in New York. And then there's other covers and there's some covers I'd love to get to eventually at some point down the line. But this is our, 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 this is the beginning of this. And I have to say of all the Bob Dylan records, I mean, this is one of the ones I listened to the very least sure. uh, because uh, you know, he was, he, he's, it's not, he's not really Bob Dylan yet. You know I mean? It's, he's like, I mean, first of all, you look at the cover and he's like this baby faced kid. You can't even recognize that's the same guy that we're all familiar with. But I mean, look, there's some great performances here. I don't mean to knock the record at all, but there's just a lot of songs here that I just think, okay, he'll, he'll get to them. Uh, he'll get to them later on down the line and, and it'll bring more of a, more of a, a world weariness to it. Because of course, a lot of the, weariness on these performances is kind of faked. Yes. You know, he's he's putting on a persona. I mean, he's clearly trying to emulate the Woody Guthrie thing. Woody Guthrie was among one of his heroes, but certainly the the one that was sort of like the the uh, northern star kind of thing. The ones he really focused on this guy. And I love this song. First of all, it's just a great song, obviously. It's a very sweet song. It's a very humble song. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it kind of isn't. Because <laughs> it's by by publicly by I think like by publicly tr- paying tribute uh, to one of your idols, you are in some small way putting yourself on that same level. Sure, uh, you know. And here's this young kid mentioning you know these other musicians, and we'll get to the other lyrics in a moment. But it's it's kind of like, hey, Woody Guthrie, I saw. I'm here's a song to you. I'm a singer too. And it's a little like, well, all right. Yeah, I guess yeah. So this, it's, it's humble and, and, and arrogant a little bit at the same time. 
Yeah, it's it's uh, I think what my wife and my sister in law would call a backdoor brag. Um, you know, <laughs> when you're 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 singing about about an idol like that, and and you know, I watched No Direction Home again for the you know thousandth time a couple of days ago, and you know, it's interesting that that section where he, they kind of stream together to these great interviews about him being humble, and you know, I thought I'd just go visit the guy. That'd be a nice thing to do, and and mixed with you know him busting out a card to the other folk singers, you know, bragging about that he saw Woody Guthrie, um, <laughs> and, and that seems. That seems like a a good mix of of, of how that worked. Um, I, I mean, you know, the other thing I I did is I, I listened to um, <clears throat> your episode with Tara Zook uh, a couple times in the last week on Last Thoughts on Woody Guthrie. And oh, right, right, it, right. It, I mean, I, I'm just so sorry to hear about her her dying, and and she's just was such an incredible you know contributor to your podcast. And, and this episode, I thought in particular, was just she just captures so much of the Bob and Woody relationship and, and how Bob truly absorbed Woody and, and, and then perfected him to an extent and then kind of moved on. And, and that song mm-hmm. to Woody, you know, is sort of that he talks about it in, in no direction home, but sort of that, that process of, of, of him moving on. I mean, I think he, he says, I, I, I jotted down here. I think he says, I, I really cared. I really wanted to portray my gratitude in some way. I knew I was not going to be going back to Greystone anymore. I feel like I had to write that song. I needed to write it. I needed to sing it. That's why I needed to write it because it hadn't been written and I needed to say all that. Hmm. And I thought, I mean, I just thought that was interesting. It, it, it's one of the more sort of tender moments of, of him being interviewed for that documentary. And he kind of stumbles over his words a little bit, like, Maybe we're getting the real Bob there, you know, um, mm-hmm, whatever mm-hmm. that that means. And and just that that gratitude portion. I, I mean, again, I think the backdoor bragging and being cool amongst his cool Greenwich Village crowd is was a big part of it. But I don't know. It's just, it's just that gratitude aspect of of it was really important, even if the gratitude was him imitating him or him. Maybe the gratitude was getting to brag about seeing what he got, got three or maybe the gratitude was you know, just the ability to to imitate him in that way. I, I think that was obviously incredibly important to him. Yeah, that moment where Bob uh, traveled across country and literally got to sit at the bedside of Woody Guthrie as he was dying from Huntington's Korea is like, it, it, it's one of those things that you can't, like I think in our modern in our modern times, to borrow a phrase, uh, we can't relate to. I mean, of course, that's what Twitter is now: is that sure. you get to kind of be up and close with people that you admire or in some way, in some cases, hate. Uh, you know, I mean, right. it, but it's this idea that you can go and and listen to Woody Guthrie records. This little punk kid from Hibbing, Minnesota, can listen to Woody Guthrie records and then be at his bedside and just right. go visit him. Right. It's just amazing. I mean, it, it became this huge moment. I mean, there were, there were, there were poems written about that moment. I mean, it became that big of a thing. And of course it is a, um, Woody Guthrie maybe didn't see it that way at the time, or maybe Bob Dylan didn't see it at the time, but, but it's the, clearly the passing of the torch. Sure. I mean, it's, it's as Woody Guthrie was sidelined uh, as a cultural force uh, for a multitude of reasons. The times are changing and also because of his health. Here is this young kid coming by and he's going to take what he learns from Woody, process it, filter it through his own particular, uh, you know, his own feelings and his own uh, processes and then turn out into this other thing. And the song continues on. He says, hey, Woody Guthrie, but I know that you know all the things that I'm saying and many times more. I'm singing you the song, but I can't sing enough because there's not many men that have done the things that you've done. Here's to Cisco and Sonny and Lead Belly too. And to all the good people who have traveled with you, 
Here's to the hearts and the hands of the men that come with the dust and are gone with the wind. And here's, I love that even this early on, the very first record, he's already dropping in cultural references from another time, gone with the wind. Gone with the wind is a is a is a phrase that only means kind of one thing at this point, thanks to the movie. Right. Everyone knows it. And here, he, I mean, it's it's like he's doing that sixty years later in Murder Most Foul. It's the same yeah. kind of process. Yeah, it's sort of amazing. Yeah, I mean, here he is writing an ode to Woody using Woody's melody from nineteen thirteen massacre. Nineteen thirteen massacre. Using yeah. Woody's lyrics from uh, I forget the song, but the uh, the uh, uh, the what do you call it the. Uh, the line, you know, it looks like it's been dying and it's hardly been born. So he's using mm-hmm. Woody's lyrics and he's talking uh, the way that Woody talks. He's, you know, the, he's dropping the G's. He's, he's got <laughs> syncope in there. He's doing the whole thing. And this is his first song. He's 20 years old. And, you know, this is his first attempt to write a song according to him, or at least one that he records and, and he's doing all this. And, and so in some ways it's like, he's saying goodbye to Woody as he talks about, but, the process that he went through to write the song is like you just said, it's, it's stuck with him for, you know, 50 years. Right. And he, and he throws in the references to Cisco and Sonny and lead belly. And again, he's, he's letting his listeners know that all this stuff is going to come through him and be filtered out into, you know, his, his, the, whatever the persona that he was trying to create in 1962 is Bob Dylan. And he's already got the whole, I'm a weary traveler thing going on. And it's like, you're 20 years old, kid. What are you talking about? Like, you know, I mean, we know that on these early years, he was just bullshitting his way through sure. interviews and talking about that. He worked in a circus and, and his parents were dead and he worked, he like did songs for hookers. I mean, it's all this right. made up stuff. And again, it's, I, Again, he's a culture of he's a, he's a product of his time because obviously nobody could get away with that now. No, you know the the minute somebody pops up, uh, they get, pops their head out like a gopher. There's a you know there's a deluge of people researching that person, finding old things or whatever. Or right. it's like, oh hey look, this person used to be this or whatever. Oh here's a we found this old commercial they did in 1992. It's all out there. But in 1960, you could get away with that. You could kind of just bullshit your way through it and, and get by and that's he there was that brief space where bob dylan could operate and craft this persona for himself uh and then the song finally ends with i'm leaving tomorrow but i could leave today somewhere down the road someday the very last thing that i'd want to do is to say i've been hitting some hard traveling too which i kind of like i like that it goes back to being humble at the again again yeah. at the very end where it's just like okay i'm you know, I'm not hitting the kind of trouble you've you've hit, and I would never want to say that. And it's a perfect kind of nice little sentiment, uh, and it's it really pops out on the record because, of course, as like we said with Talking New York, it's one of the few originals. Right. So you're really getting the this is what this kid has to say early on. If you're not knowing who this guy is, and of course we all know the legendary story that uh, John Hammond really took a flyer on this kid right. and that everybody at Columbia records and Mitch Miller were like, who the hell is this? You know, <laughs> I mean, there's, there's apparently some great story about that, that when, when Bob Dylan was recording this record, uh, other stu- other producers down the hall would shut their doors because they just couldn't stand to hear him. <laughs> it was, his voice was so upsetting, which is just like, okay, everybody, your delicate fifis have been, have been injured here. It's all right. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, John John Hammond certainly knew talent when he saw it because he saw something in this kid and 
the first record famously didn't sell hardly anything. It only sold a couple of hundred copies, and it pretty much didn't go anywhere. And then we know what's going to happen eventually after this. Sure. But, I mean, Bob Dylan learned really quickly. He knew that uh, this record, by his own admission, these were songs that he didn't live with too terribly much. These were right. not songs that he was even covering all that much in the coffee houses. And he sort of didn't – I don't want to say he didn't put a lot of work into it because, again, I don't know that. But he didn't prepare for it the way maybe he should have. And he realized, oh, no, 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 if I'm going to – put a record out with my name on it, it's got to count. And of course with freewheeling, it did. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think he even says in, in the Scorsese documentary, he says, you know, as soon as it came out, he was well past that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he says, I mean, the song to Woody it, comment about, you know, saying almost goodbye to Woody or, or moving on. Um, and the, you know, how imitation, the imitation of Woody led to him finding his own voice. It kind of makes sense that he almost wouldn't recognize himself when this album is over. You know, he's just sort of shedding that. Um, you know, as much as he ever does, he, he's sort of shedding that a, a little bit. And, and then I think, you know, the, the Hammond recognition, I, I wonder how much, and I don't know this, but, but in sort of whenever I hear, read about those stories of Don Hammond, I wonder how many other folk singers at the time from the village he plucked out and tried. I, I, I wonder if what he saw in Bob Dylan was that middle ground between, you know, the sort of intellectual old school folk northeastern folk versus the kind of cowboy western you know uh the more pure folk as i think they describe it you know truly embodying the basket houses uh and you know dylan's kind of somewhere in the middle right he's willing to be a little bit commercial willing to go along but he's got the shtick down he's able to kind of (laughs) do the greenwich village thing um but in a way that you know um he's a little bit different you know he's not he doesn't i mean as much as he seems laughable sometimes when we see those early interviews or I read about him as this young kid. He's also he's also a little bit authentic, maybe compared to the people he was around by, surrounded by. You know, he's willing to be a little little bit different than certainly the Greenwich Village scene, um, and in in the sense that he could go across several different ways of doing things, and then you know started to prove every year that he would change change at a whim. Yeah, right. And the the beginning, it's this is really the the first of the. 40 million personas that he would take on because even the the kid in freewheeling doesn't seem to be recognizable from the one you see here and even as bob aged uh throughout his career of course his his indebtedness to woody guthrie uh never abated and he never never shied away from that of course uh the first public appearance dylan made after his motorcycle accident was at the 1967 uh, Woody Guthrie tribute concerts because right. it was right after Woody Guthrie had passed away and they had the tribute to Woody Guthrie uh, concert and that was he showed up to sing three Woody Guthrie songs and that was the first time he had been appeared live anywhere since the accident so that was a big deal and I got to say back in my early days of Dylan collecting uh, I found that that vinyl set at a at a used record store and I didn't know it existed. Oh, wow. I'd never heard. I didn't know it, and 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 at the time, it had never been put on CD. So the only way I could listen to those three songs was listening to the vinyl, and I still have that vinyl copy to this day. It's it's now been put out, but and it's an, for anyone who hasn't heard it, it's an amazing concert. It's kind of like a um, uh, almost like a. Uh, I mean, it's a concert, but it also has like a oh, like kind of like a mixed mixed media kind of thing oh. because you've got uh, Robert Ryan, the great actor serving as narrator and kind of reading poems and doing these intros. So it's, it's a very, very interesting 
set of influences there across these three records. But you get to hear Bob Dylan in his sort of basement tapes persona doing Woody Guthrie songs, which is fantastic. And of course, he's covered uh, Woody Guthrie on he did uh, Pretty Boy Floyd right. on the on a tribute record, and the song itself, song to Woody. He's never really ever dropped it from the repertoire, even though it doesn't appear very much. When he did a session with George Harrison in 1970, where they were during the self-portrait uh, sessions and they were just kind of dicking around, one of the songs they played was Song to Woody. And you can hear that actually on YouTube. It's available there. He sang it uh, very famously as the... Uh, the the conclusion to the 30th anniversary concert. Right. So, I mean, you've got this concert where it's paying tribute to how great Bob Dylan is, and then the man comes out and sings a tribute to one of his own heroes, right. uh, which I thought was a really, really nice gesture. And then even on something as obscure as the Things Have Changed CD single, right. uh, back when that used to be a thing, uh, they, they used to put other songs in there, and they stuck a live version of Song to Woody on that CD single. So, I mean, it's it's a song that, that that's obviously still important to Bob. It's only been performed 53 times in the course of uh, basically five decades. Uh, he stopped pre- – the last time he performed it was in 2002. So, good Lord, 18 years ago. Uh, but you never know. With Bob Dylan, it could show up again at any moment. Until he, when, when the never-ending never tour resumes, he might be playing it again. So, it's obviously not a song that he – Pulls out a lot, but it's also a song that it's always sort of in the back of his head. Yeah, I, I actually, the first time I heard the song was at the B side of Things Have Changed when I was first getting it. Oh wow, really? So the live version was the first one you ever heard. Yep, and I had no idea that it was uh, from the first album. I hadn't yet discovered the uh, the stories about Woody or the myth behind Woody got Bob Dylan, Woody Guthrie, or, or any of that. Um, and then it seems like he played it on that tour. He he sort of got into the song like he did for for a bit and played it on that 2000 2001 tour. Have you gone back to listen to Woody Guthrie music because of this? Or have you, have you gone back and researched, listened to any of that? So I actually knew of Woody Guthrie before um, getting into Bob Dylan via the, oh, wow. the Mermaid Avenue sessions with uh, Billy Bragg and Wilco. Okay. Um, I was a Wilco fan in, in high school and um, knew about those, you know, loved, again, their music. Um, and then loved the covers that they did of, of Woody Guthrie songs. Um, and so got into it, you know, via, via that road and, and got into it a little bit, you know, remember, you know, learning about Dust Bowl stuff and, and had a fantastic uh, uh, junior year high school American lit teacher who taught us Woody Guthrie lyrics as, as part of the, the Dust Bowl movement and, and those types of things. So, so only for, only from a distance, I've never sort of gotten into them the, the same way as Bob Dylan, but, but I, yeah, I you know it, it's interesting to think of him as you know what he learned from that imitation of Woody Guthrie. You know, is he is he sort of embodied and imitated him? And to think about it, it how much he maybe revisits that over the years, or wants to revisit that, or doesn't revisit that. I, I wonder if this is sort of you know his his teenage hobby that some of us have that we look back and cringe on that we were into or if or if it's still near and dear to his heart or if it's it's a couple of both of those things or you know and, and then i you know i, I don't know I, I i in some ways i you know read these lyrics and think of him as 20 years old singing this to woody guthrie and think man what would bob dylan say if some kid showed up at his door and you know sang sang a song to him stealing his his lines and his melody <laughs> and, and, and doing that but but then you know the the thing I kept thinking about when you and, and Tara were talking about the poem is just the part that seems to me that Bob Dylan always took from these Woody Guthrie years 
more than maybe the melodies or, or the songs, but it, that he always took from it. Sort of the approach that he had with Woody Guthrie almost seems to drive his conflict with some of the fans through the sixties and, and some of those issues. I mean, he, he sort of, you know, says, you know, that when he's talking about Woody Guthrie and they're, and they're comparing him to maybe what he's going through sort of, sort of later, his frustration towards those fans or listeners was sort of born from the fact that he was maybe a true admirer uh, of Woody and in that true, being a true admirer, he was just grateful to him, didn't owe anything to him. You know, he, he owed him a few trips to the hospital to sing songs. I mean, what I mean is Woody didn't owe anything to Bob, you know, Mm -hmm. Bob owed him a trip to the hospital to sing songs. He felt the need to compose something to him and, you know, just kept thinking like, how can a man who does that for his idol ever comprehend all those, you know, screaming kids, demanding something from him or criticizing him um in that way and and then i kind of kept thinking when you 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 and tara were covering this just how much you know there's somebody said something at some point about woody wasn't a political singer he was just a singer who sang in political times and uh and i you know certainly bob dylan seems to want to be that same type of person through the those conflicts and and doing that. And so it's it, this contrast of like the persona that he grabs with Woody that he seems to never really come back to much in life, you know, those few moments maybe, but those moments, but then there's, there's those things that he imitates that just stay with him forever. I think those approaches with fans and that, the, how he sees the interaction, how he sees himself as a, in a line of singers, how he thinks that imitation. And I'd love to talk a little bit more about that, but, you know, just thinks that imitation is sort of part of the tradition of songwriting um, he, you know, he, he stays with him forever, even if he only mm-hmm. sings the actual song 50 times. Some of these things are just so essentially him. They they just never go away. Yeah, I mean, in in his mind, it could be that it's obvious what, it's almost like I don't need to sing song to Woody because everything I do is coming from that in some regard. You know, I mean, I'm taking this process and I'm I'm putting it, again, filtering it through my own, uh, my own creative vision. But I mean, everything comes from, this original source in some ways. And it's funny. It's uh, back in the mid seventies when they were working on the Woody Guthrie biopic bound for glory, right. which ended up uh, starring uh, David Carradine. Initially they were apparently talking to Bob Dylan to star in it. Oh, no way. No way. Uh, yeah. And I mean, the, I, that would have been really interesting. <laughs> I mean, uh, I've, I've said this on Twitter when I was rewatching uh, Pat Garrett and Billy, the kid a couple of weeks ago where it's like, I can't, uh, I can't say that Bob Dylan is a good actor because I just think he's he looks so horrendously uncomfortable. Yes, yes. Um, and and you know, in, in contrast to when he's on the stage where he looks completely comfortable yes. uh, and in full command, but at the same time, he has movie star charisma because the minute he is on screen, your eyes go right to him. You yep. can't look at him. You can't look at anybody else. Uh, no matter who's on screen, you're looking at Bob Dylan being weird. Yep. And it. And uh, he never really got the opportunity to work with a director, I think, that was interested in maybe guiding a neophyte performer through a performance. Uh, we know from the legendary stories about Pat Garen, Billy the Kid, that Sam Peckinpah had, a, aside from his uh, uh, catastrophic alcoholism, he had <laughs> Peckinpah had a lot of problems on that film with, with the studio. So he right. just didn't have it in him to sit there and guide Bob Dylan through a performance. And then after that, Bob Dylan never really was in another movie where uh, a director would have had that chance. But if he had, he done bound for glory, 
that might have been really interesting because he would have been the lead yes. playing a musician that he loved. I mean, that would have been a fascinating. I mean, it might not it might not have worked at all. It might have just been horrible, but it might have also been really kind of brilliant, too. I, I would l- love to live in that that alternate universe where where he starred in that movie. Yeah, yeah, if it was anything like his alias performance in Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, it would have been a quiet movie. Um, <laughs> but maybe that would have been right. You know, maybe it would have been right that it, it would have captured less about, you know, Woody not really as the man and, and just the performer and the writer. Yeah. That, that that's just like that's kind of how we, we leave assume Bob is as at his at his most, you know, uh authentic as is on a stage. It, Maybe it's, it would have been the same, portrayed kind of the same thing with Woody Guthrie. Uh, you yeah. were talking about you're talking about other people that have you know in, been influenced by it. Of course, uh, no less than David Bowie right. quotes this song in his 1973 song, Song for Bob Dylan. It opens with, oh, hear this, Robert Zimmerman. I wrote a song for you about a strange young man called Dylan. And obviously – it's not A to B to C, but what a what a line of demarcation to go from Woody Guthrie to Bob Dylan to Ziggy Stardust. It's like, wow, the world has changed a lot in 10 years that that's the next guy quoting these lines. It's like, woo, that's right. things change fast. Right. And, and I mean, that's kind of fascinating to think just how, you know, this was maybe a 20 year old kid who was, you know, felt like he was far from home and had to put on a persona and copy Woody Guthrie. And, you know, it's just this 20 year old punk showing up in Greenwich village, you know, acting like Woody Guthrie and how that ends up sort of influencing all of rock and rolls sort of attempts to take on these personas, Sergeant Peppers to Ziggy Stardust to everybody else, you know, um, it all started with, you know, this 20 year old from Minnesota copying <laughs> at, at that time, you know, out of the picture um, folk singer. Um, yeah, became this sort of line of influence of how rock artists saw themselves all the way up to today and how they reinvent themselves or want to reinvent themselves. Some, some worse than others. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, and I always, you mentioned, um, the, the Billy Bragg, uh, cover. And I remember that record when it was out at the time. And then, um, Bruce Springsteen did a cover record too of, uh, yeah. of, uh, Woody Guthrie songs, not all that long ago. And it's sort of interesting to me that, Woody Guthrie is, I mean, God, he's been, he's been, he's been deceased for over 40 years now, almost 50 years. And, and yet you have these artists that are continually going back to him. And there's this, I almost wonder if in some ways there's not some sort of, uh, considering we are living through very political times, uh, whether Woody Guthrie himself is right for rediscovery by somebody, you know, whether to have some younger artist to, to learn the, to, to hear this stuff the way Bob Dylan did and say, I'm going to do my own versions of this. I wonder if that's in the offing because it feels like you listen to some of these songs, Woody Guthrie did. And I am, I'm only familiar with a, a sort of tiny sample of them. Really? Um, there's God, there's so much there. And you're like how sharp and cutting he was. Yeah. And I mean, again, it's just the simplicity of just one man and his guitar and nothing else and how powerful that stuff still sounds uh, all these years later. And when I was listening to the various versions of song to Woody, uh, it, it had that same kind of, it just sounds, it still sounds very fresh and it still sounds, uh, even though again, I'm not particularly like huge Woody Guthrie fan. It's, I like the idea of taking, using your creative gifts to pay tribute to someone that you really admire, which is what I'm doing with this podcast every week anyway, (laughs) in my own way. So, I mean, I, it's the song still sounds really 
beautiful and and again you, you mentioned that he borrowed the tune from the Woody, Woody Guthrie song which is perfect of course he's borrowing Woody to pay tribute to Woody uh, but I said it, it's still it's a song that does to me doesn't sound uh, old it just sounds like it still sounds very very fresh yeah it does and you know I think of the Woody I remember listening to uh, at some point they collected all of Woody Guthrie's re- recordings it might have been a, a granddaughter or a daughter and put them in the library of congress and um I remember I was listening to, you know, an, an NPR segment on that and, and they sort of framed it. And I think they brought on Billy Bragg uh, too. And, and they sort of framed it as this, you know, search for what is America. And it, it kind of falls in line with the, you know, the Ken Burns jazz um, and, and, and recently the country thing, there's seems to be this broader sort of desire to understand now that we've sort of moving past rock and roll and, and moving past perhaps the cold war and, some of these other things to try to figure out like, okay, what was essentially American? And certainly there's massively underrepresented groups in that question. Um, mm-hmm. and, and things like, you know, the, um, when, when we talk about, you know, th- things that have gone on in this country, the last four five, six, seven years about, you know, making sure that certain groups are understood and, and represented all the way up to everything going on in the world this week and uh, this month. Um, it seems like that's been happening a little bit with music to try and understand, like, what, what who are the people that Woody Guthrie was talking about? You know, who are these mm-hmm. people that are probably more complicated and nuanced than just the John Steinbeck novel? Not that those aren't important <laughs> right. um, and essential, but there's there's more. And it's, you know, the the when, when I think of some of the Woody Guthrie songs or listening to Billy Bragg talk about them, at, you know, the different times that they're sung and what they're about, I again, I'm not as much of a fan, but just as a history project, it's telling how, you know, Woody's mission didn't end with the migration to California and it didn't <laughs> end with going to Greenwich village. It, it covers all of these things. That seems to be his, his mission. His desire is to capture every aspect of what happened between the 1920s and the, and the you know, the late forties or early fifties. And, and it's not just sort of, the Dust Bowl. There, there's a lot more to that, and and whether he gets into the politics of it, he's he's truly kind of painting a a picture of that version of America that, that isn't really captured much, you know. And um, mm-hmm. he's of course leaving a lot out. That's not to say that he's he's by any means any sort of universal representative voice, but but he is telling a story, and, and Bountiful Glory does this too. I mean, he's telling a story of a type of people, a type of way they live that's that's not always captured in our story of America. Um, mm. and he has his thoughts on the politics of it, certainly, um, what he got through, did through those years, but also just the stories themselves are important, um, an ignored, you know, group in, of people. Yeah. I have to figure that, uh, when I, I'm not familiar with the stories of like when it is that John Hammond first heard Bob Dylan or discovered him or whatever. And, uh, I have to figure that maybe if, if he heard this song, uh, this might have been the thing that Hammond yeah. was like, oh, wait a minute, this kid. All right. OK. Uh, you know, I mean, fixing to die and you're no good. They're they're fun covers, but uh, I don't necessarily think they made they make Dylan pop any more than Eric von Schmidt or any of the other people that were doing all these songs at the time. And uh, not, again, not to disparage Eric von Schmidt or any of the other people, but it just I those covers i'm like oh they're they're nice they're cute and they're 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 fine uh and but they sound like a, to me those covers sound like a kid trying to sound older than he is yeah and i mean he's doing that in song to woody but there's a, there's a tenderness here and there's a maturity here even in the faux uh you know the faux oh, i've lived a hard life kind of thing 
that uh, makes him pop. And I have to think, what was this Hammond heard this and or read the words even maybe and just said, oh, okay, this kid's there's something here. This kid's got a, 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 a you mentioned about where Bob Dylan has said he he had a song that he had to sing, but it didn't exist. So he had to write it. Yeah, that was the idea of like, okay, I have these words in my head. And I want to get them out, but there's no song for me to express these thoughts at the ready. So I'll just write it myself, which is, again, enormous confidence yes. to be able to even think that, you know, and be able to be like, oh, I'll just write it. That's no problem. Um, but yeah. I, I go. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, I mean, John Hammond, from what I understand, was also certainly aware of the fact that New York City was not breeding the type of music that it was becoming famous for. I mean, from his discovery of Count Basie and other jazz guys, he knew that you had to hit the road and that the real thing was elsewhere and would travel around the country looking for it. So in a, in a cynical way, I sometimes wonder like maybe he fell for that story from being from Gallup, New Mexico and went, (laughs) here's, here's the real guy. And then, or, but in, in a, in a much more probably John Hammond way, he probably heard him sing and thought just like, just like you mentioned, you know, like, okay, there's imitation here, but you know, it's, it's uh there's a sincerity that that you know you don't always hear that's that's worth giving a shot something that's that's unique there i mean obviously a lot of the great music came from new york city but just meaning that there was you know he john hammond you know famously traveled the country looking for music and Mm -hmm. um he sort of understood that 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 concept from the beginning that that um you know the different voices is is what makes what makes, you know, at the time, of course, thinking Columbia or just thinking, you know, just producing a, a wide range of music. Yeah. yeah. Uh, one one final thing I wanted to mention about this song is that if you go on the BobDylan.com and you look up where it, where it's appeared, of course, it's on the there's a, a bootleg different version on the bootleg series volume seven. But it all it also appeared on the 2007 Dylan compilation which is a sort of massive greatest hits thing they just called it dylan and of course this song was never a hit right uh, it was not not a single in any way and uh, of course we we don't know how much input bob himself had on that compilation but to me it's telling that that's that this song is included on a compilation where of course space is at a premium right because the man has got so many famous songs and there's always going to be some left out to stick this on there to me indicates that somebody in Dylan's camp uh, felt this song was important, uh, not as a hit, but as important in the creative trajectory of Bob Dylan and wanted it on there. I mean, to me, that is, that's a very, very uh, informative uh, placement that it, that appears on a, on a greatest hits compilation. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They understood it was like part of the story, I guess, of, of, you know, Bob Dylan being who he was from, from the beginning. Um, Yeah. I I guess the the last thing I, I was thinking about this song thinking about it the last couple of weeks is again, his, that sort of concept that he, um, you know, needed to write this to kind of to move on from Woody, um, mm-hmm, that he, mm-hmm. that he knew it was time. And and I think that that probably means that the imitation had ended, he'd found his voice, you know, I mean, from the sort of poetic imitation part, and then probably just knowing that he had just thinking about like visiting. I mean, the reality of it, the story is so cool. You know, the reality of him going to the hospital, singing Woody songs, of his and then going and singing his own song to Woody is such a cool story. But the reality of it is, is like, he's going into a, a depressing hospital to visit this guy. And he's a 22 yeah. year old. He's leaving Greenwich village, presumably to like, go see this guy a few times. And, you know, we've all, we've all had those obligations in life um, thrust upon us to, to do things like that. And, and it's not, it's not pleasant. And what maybe once started out as like sweet and nice and, 
and wonderful. I'm sure it didn't go that way, especially something like the disease that he had and the decline that was happening and, you know, other things that he would have seen. And, and it, it probably was not a, a good experience. And then I, I was thinking about that when I was listening to your conversation with Tara Zook. And then I, um, I listened to the Nobel, the Nobel speech and I don't think I'd mm. listened to it all the way through. Um, I, I read it at different times and put it on, but I listened to it all the way through and he ends with it at the very end of the Nobel speech. You know, he, he lists the three pieces of literature that he loves and, and all that. And he, he talks about it, the, um, the Odyssey. Do you mind if I read from the speech what he says? Oh, no, go right ahead. He says uh, he, he's talking about um, he's talking about uh, he moves on from the Odyssey. And then he's talking about, you know, li- listening to the early folk songs and, and singing the songs yourself, picking up the vernacular and how he had it all down. And he knew the record, the, the rhetoric and none of it went over his head. He was embodying it. He was on those roads at others. And, and then he immediately goes back to the Odyssey and he says, he says, and I'll, I'll quote from here. He says, when Odysseus, when Odysseus in the Odyssey visits the famed warrior Achilles in the underworld, Achilles who traded a long life full of peace and contentment for a short one full of honor and glory, that word glory, tells Odysseus it was all a mistake. I just died. That's all. There was no honor, no immortality, and that if he could, he would choose to go back and be a lowly slave to a tenant farmer on earth rather than be what he is, a king in the land of the dead, that whatever his struggles of life were, they were preferable to being here in this dead place. And again, that's Bob summarizing his, the, the Odyssey. That's, that's not entirely, you know, that's not, he's not quoting Achilles there. That's him summarizing the Odyssey. And I just kept thinking of that in terms of, of Bob visiting his hero and, and, and basically the underworld and the hospital and how there's no glory in that. You know, he, he, this was his hero. He read this book bound for glory and traveling the roads and he embodied all that. And then he's in this hospital with this guy who's just, who's just wasting away and how terrible that must, must be for, for, for Woody and how terrible that must be for Bob t- to see that. And then how he kind of at that moment, he, he decides that he's got to move on, you know? And, and, I, and when he talks about that in the, in the documentary, I, I always kind of thought, you know, that's just him, just it's time to go become be myself and, and do my thing. And I'm sure it was that too. I'm sure it was that too, but I wonder if it was a lesson too, from just a very, at a very young age, a lesson of seeing somebody in a hospital like that and realizing, you know what, I got to go be myself. You know, I, I can't be, Bound for glory. I can't be Woody Guthrie. It didn't have to end this way for Woody. It's not, he's not like Achilles, who was a hothead and brought it on himself or anything like that. What certainly Woody Guthrie was, it was simply a tragedy. But, but nonetheless, like Bob's experience as a 20 year old must have been, must have been powerful just to see how quickly it all fades away and, and think like, okay, I, I just can't imitate Woody forever. I, I got to go write my own songs. That that's fantastic, Adam. That's a, that's a great connection you made. I didn't really think of all that, and and and, and uh, it makes me think of of something. Uh, now that you've said that, it makes me think of a, a, a quote I saw from Bob's uh, an interview Bob did uh, a couple of years ago. Oh, God, it's, it's so hard with time sliding. <laughs> you know, with, with thanks to COVID, I don't even know what time is anymore. It, it seems like this interview I read was a year ago. It's probably ten years ago at this point. But it was something where he said that the songs and the music are not his life. They are not his private life. He's like, and his, his the quote was like, I have a separate private life and my private life is all filled up. Yeah. And, and I, I remembered liking that in that he was like, look, I am a, I am a person. I obviously, um, you know, have, have my own internal rhythms as like, I have a family, I have friends, I have desires, I have uh, wants and needs completely separate from the persona being Bob Dylan and how important, that has got to be to be a person. 
yeah. and to not just lose yourself in their persona. And I'm thinking, like what you just quoted, was that seeing his hero, seeing this great man, uh, just sort of almost thrown away. In the and you, you mentioned in the in the in the in the the clip in No Direction Home, he talks about that he was put away. How sort of horrified Bob was that Woody Guthrie was put in like a sanitarium. Yeah, and he was like the guys. That guy wasn't crazy. He was just sick. Yeah, you know, like what you know what and what a waste that this icon of America was just tossed to the side and just put in a bed somewhere to sort of waste away. And yeah, that might have been the moment that this kid was like, okay, I have this. You know, I've taken what I, I've taken what I need from Woody, and now I'm going to go and do my own thing because that's the only. I don't want to end up like this, or I don't want to end up in some dark path or in some underworld like you're talking about. I'm going to go do my own thing, and I'm not going to. I'm going to make sure that doesn't happen to me. That's a that's a really great connection. I really enjoyed that. I'm thank you so much for bringing that. No, no, no problem. I, I, I think. I mean, I think. There's there's like a there's a there's a James Joyce line of of something that's like you working that you know literature innovations the working over of what is remembered or something along those lines of 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 you know the, you kind of take and scramble everything that you're living and and you turn it into something else and I kind of always thought of Bob Dylan line you know music is that there's there's like you know the I, there's there's you know memory is like memory what it is and then there's there's like, you know, I think I'm, I'm quoting a philosopher here of somebody. That I've <laughs> We're heard, getting so deep on this there's, one. There's like memory and then there's imagination, you know, which is sort of like where we get illusion and fantasy where you're sort of like, you know, masking it that, you know, masking it a little bit. And then there's, you know, innovation, which is where you're sort of truly making something new. And that, of course, applies to Bob's songs. I think I always wonder, you know, like the Nobel speech or other interviews, it, it almost applies to his his public persona as well, you know, it, mm-hmm. it's an innovation in its own right. It's not who he is. It's, it's, it's how he understands things, you know, and he doesn't tell us his life story, but he, he tells us, you know, allusions to the Odyssey and Nobel prize speeches and what that means. And he tells us about, you know, Moby Dick and how he, <laughs> you know, that how he, he's pretty sure that Melville, you know, had no idea what any of those allusions and biblical references and, how they meant, but that's it's just the way that it was. That was just the story he was trying to tell, you know, and he seems to relate to that, that, that there's this different levels of what reality is. And, you know, Bob is, is there to, is there to piece together some of these memories or whatever comes to his brain to try and put that together, you know, not to turn him into, uh, into too much of a Homer or Shakespeare or Melville <laughs> character, but, you know, certainly you and I probably feel that way about him. Yeah, he kind of is that. <laughs> he absolutely is that, that character. So, all right. Well, I think that's going to do it for Song to Woody. Adam, thank you so much for coming by and doing the show. Like I said, you you waited a really long time to do this, and I very much appreciate it. Again, I, I keep apologizing to all my guests for making them wait because uh, Bob started dropping new songs, and that you know messed up the schedule. Again, problem to have. But, but nevertheless, it made everybody wait a lot longer than I ever intended. So I really appreciate your patience, and I thank you so much for doing this. This was great talking to you. Thank you so much, Rob. I really love and enjoy the podcast and, uh, and and appreciate all the work they do. Thank you very much. So, of course, everybody, you want to subscribe to the show, you can follow on an Apple Podcast, Spotify, and Stitcher. All the back episodes are on the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. We're always talking Bob on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, go to patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. 
and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Patrick Carroll, and another supporter who will remain masked and anonymous for their pledges in the name of Pod Dylan. So that's going to do it for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye-bye. I'm out here a thousand miles from my home Walking a road other men have gone down I'm seeing your world of people and things Here paupers and peasants and princes and kings Hey, hey, Woody Guthrie, I wrote you a song About a funny old world that's a-coming along Seems sick and it's hungry, it's tired and it's torn It looks like it's a-dying and it's hardly been born <laughs>